Well, sometimes life can be out of control, amen? amen. But you know, there's a, there's a fruit for that. Uh, let's all stand to our feet if you would. You like what I did there? I like what I did there. That was good. I like that. I like that. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Our kids are dismissed to their classes now. Oh, man. Galatians. Open your Bible to the book of Galatians. We are finishing up. In our in-season series, the book of Galatians, I told you guys last week we were going to pop quiz you. We didn't pop quiz you at the door, so we're going to go around and everybody's going to say the memory. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Galatians 5. Galatians 5.22. When you got it, say so. so. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you so much for the reality of your resurrection and that we can celebrate here today a living Savior, a God who does not slumber, who does not sleep, a God who is faithful to fulfill his word and his promises, and a God who is there, Lord God, and waiting on us to respond in faith. And so this morning, let us not just hear your word, but let us do, let us obey, and let us walk in the Spirit as you have called us to. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so today we're going to be talking about self-control. We are finishing up our series, as I said, in season, and we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and we fix it, or we finish it, not fix it, we finish it up with this fruit of self-control. And I don't know about you, but if you look around, you just watch the news for a little bit, I would say our culture needs some self-control. I'm just saying, right? I mean, you look around, uh, you know, one writer, he wrote a book that we are living in the age of outrage, the age of outrage. And it's, and it's true, like everyone gets outraged over everything that goes on. Like if you're not, you know, if you're not, and if you're not outraged about how you should be offended, someone else is going to be outraged for you. Come on now. That's, that, 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 that's the age that we're living in, right? And so whether, whether it's from the White House, now come on now, y'all know we can agree on one thing, we should suspend our president's Twitter account. Come on. Amen, amen, amen. We may not agree on much, but we can all agree on that, right? Like, like, like if, we, if we could do that, that I, I think we should make that an amendment. Come on, we should make that an amendment, right? That we put on the ballot that any president cannot have a Twitter account. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, just, but, but listen, you know, there, there's, some, there's some out of control. There's some things that just like, man, come on, bro. Why are you, you know, so it's there. But it's not just there, right? There's other places that we see this need for self-control. Our media, I mean, sometimes our news media outlets, they are out of control. They need some self-control. They need someone to moderate them. Come on now. What, what about the church? Self-control in the church is so, so very important. As a pastor and as one that preaches the gospel and holds this pulpit as something that is sacred, holds this responsibility as something that is sacred, I can even say to some of my pastor friends that may even be watching online here that there needs to be self-control in this pulpit because you know what? This is not about me. This is not about my hurts. This is not about my opinions. This is about God's word. 
This is about what God says. And sadly, I have seen plenty of times where there are pastors, especially in highly volatile moments, get up behind the pulpit and rail against people out of control, not under the subjection to the spirit, but yet call it God. It's not. We need to be in a place of self-control. We need to be in a place where we are walking and living in self-control. And then obviously from the White House, we got to go to our house. Come on now. We need some control in our houses, right? Some control, self-control in our homes. Why does self-control matter? Why does self-control matter so much? Because here, hear this. When self-control is exercised, less, less explanations are necessary, less apologies are warranted, because less pain and less confusion are experienced. You see, when I am operating in self-control and, and I'm thinking about what I'm saying, I'm thinking about what I am doing, I don't have to explain it so much because I'm living what I believe. Come on now. I'm living the truth of what Scripture says. I'm living according to a biblical worldview, a biblical value system. Therefore, I'm able to do what? I am able to communicate. I don't have to go there and explain everything over and over again because there's no confusion. You know why I live like that? Because I'm trying to live according to God's word. I'm trying to live according to what God commands, what God expects of me. The same thing happens when I'm operating in self-control. I don't need to be apologizing all the time because I'm not just offending and hurting people left and right. Come on now. When I'm operating in self-control, there is, there is less pain, there is less confusion. And so I want you to think about this this morning. Spirit-led self-control is the key to a consistent manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. Think about that. Spirit-led self-control is the key to a consistent manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. From the beginning of this series, I've talked about being in season. There is never a time that a believer should not be fruitful. There's never a season, you know, like trees and, you know, um, different agricultural stuff. There's different seasons, right? Like there are seasons for avocado. There's seasons for grapes. There's seasons. There's certain seasons that we should see certain fruit that is coming. In the Christian's life, the moment you give your life to Jesus, you are supposed to be in season. The fruit of the Spirit is a non-negotiable. It is something, and yes, to be sure, you will grow in certain areas over time. You will begin to develop in certain areas over time. And what you will realize is that even as a Christian, I've been a Christian for 20-some-odd years, and I can tell you every single week as I have either gone through one of these sermons and prepared it or heard it when someone else has preached it, you know what I've realized is, yes, there is fruit in my life in this area, but there needs to be more fruit. There's, there, there's room to grow this fruit in my life. And it should be the same for us when we really think about these, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And so when you are living, and look at what Paul does. He like bookends this whole thing. So he starts out the fruit of the Spirit with what? With love. He ends it with self-control. It's like it begins here and it's held together here, right? Like these are the two things. And so what happens is when I'm operating in self-control, I am actually, and realize this, I said this before, is that you and I cannot make fruit happen. Amen? We can't produce fruit on our own. We can't make fruit become something in our lives. But what we do is we choose fruit. You hear that? We can't make fruit, but we choose fruit. You know, for example, if I'm walking in self-control and we're dealing with the aspect of love in my life, well, as I'm driving down the road, I love everyone. Hallelujah. Until, 
until someone cuts me off and suddenly my love for all the people around me has been challenged. Come on now. When, I, when, I'm, in, when I'm at work or dealing with a neighbor, I love everyone until situation is difficult. Then suddenly I am challenged with a choice. Am I going to love or retaliate? I'm given the choice. Self-control determines if I'm going to continue to walk in love. Let's talk about peace for a moment. I'm just going to do those two. I'm not going to walk through the whole list. But peace is a choice that you make, is it not? It is something that God gives. However, when you're sitting there and you're watching the news and you're seeing all of the stuff that is being said there, you and I have a choice. Am I going to continue in the peace of God or am I going to give into anxiety? Am I going to give into fear? Am I going to give into doubts? Am I going to give into worry? See, I make a choice choice. God, I choose the fruit or I choose the flesh. See, for you and I, we have to make these choices. And so when we're walking in a spirit-led self-control, that's the key to consistent, a consistent manifestation of the fruit of the spirit. So I want to ask you to repeat this after me this morning, if you would. Say, how can self-control be a fruit of the spirit? How can self-control be a fruit of the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you when I read it, if it would have said spirit control, right? Be like, okay, that makes sense, right? Even if it would have said control or something like that, maybe. But when you put the word self before it, I got to come back and say, man, how is self-control a fruit of the Spirit? And so when I think about that, I think about gifts of the Spirit as well. And so, you know, you've met people that they're not Christians, right? They're good teachers, great educators, right? Uh, I mean, I had a teacher, I remember seventh grade teacher, Mr. Marsh, never forget him, one of my favorite teachers ever. This guy was not a Christian, hello. If he was, he was a terrible witness. I'll just put it that way. But he was my favorite teacher. This guy took me from making terrible grades in math to making straight A's in math. Took us to high school math in seventh grade. Great, great, great teacher. Not a Christian. You ever seen people in the workforce? They're great leaders. They just have leadership capacity, leadership ability. They don't follow Jesus. But they have this ability. Well, you know, there's a gift of teaching. There's a gift of leadership. What about administration? There's some people that are not saved, and yet they're great administrators. They're great organizers. They, they move. And so how is it that we know the difference between a gift, you know, of the Spirit or something that's a natural capacity? And here's what we know is this, is that anything that's good in anyone is something that came from God. Amen? It's, it's a good thing that came from God. It's part of the, the image of God in someone's life. However, when we're talking about the fruit, we're talking about the gift, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, how do we know the difference between self-control that, that is a spiritual thing or something that's natural? And here's, here's why I say that. Because you and I have probably met people that seem to have self-control. I would argue it's not self-control, it's self-discipline. That's what my argument would be. When I look at the word self-control, the, the, the word discipline doesn't even come into the context. So there's a difference. There's some people that are self-disciplined. Now, now, for some of you, that, this may be semantics, but it's not semantics. I want you to think about this. The difference between self-control as a fruit and self-discipline as a developed trait is that one is self-imposed, the other is a divine endowment. One of them is self-imposed. And when I say self-imposed, it can be imposed by the military. Come on now. Because you decided that you were going to go into the military, therefore there are certain things that you had to start doing, like start running, and you may not be a runner, and you may hate running. Guess what? Doesn't matter what you like, doesn't matter what you enjoy, you're going to be running. Come on now. That's what the military does, bottom line. That's why I didn't join. Come on. I hate running. I knew that was part of the, part of the plan. I'm not with that. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. 
Some self-disciplines, right there, there are self-discipline. There is discipline that is there. There is discipline that is something that is self-imposed. However, self-control is a divine endowment. You want to know why? Because here's the thing. No matter how much self-discipline you have, self-discipline doesn't change your heart. See, the difference here is self-control changes your heart because it's a divine endowment. It's where God gives you the ability to say no, but also he gives you the desire to say yes to the right things. He changes your heart. See, self-control is something different. So what does the word mean? The word self-control, it comes from a, a root word, which means the power or lordship over oneself. The power or lordship over oneself. I want to say this. To the degree that Christ is Lord of your life is to the degree that you will see the fruit of self-control in your life. To the degree that Jesus is Lord of your life is to the degree that you will see self-control, the fruit of self-control manifested in your life. See, the telltale sign, the, the test for real, are you really a follower of Jesus? It isn't uh, what you say, it is how you live. You want to know if you're a real follower of Christ? Do you obey Christ? Do you walk with Christ? Do you do what Jesus says to you? Are you following his commands? Are you saying no to the things that you should be saying no to and yes to the things that you should be saying yes to? See, what you and I have to understand is this, is while self-control as a spiritual fruit is the work of the Lord, the outworking, hear me now, the outworking of self-control is a sanctified life. Sanctified means a separated life. If you want to see if you are really following Jesus, my question is this, are you becoming more like him? Are you becoming more like him? Are you becoming more like him in temperament? Are you becoming more like him in desires? Are you becoming more like him in service? Are you becoming more like him in all of the different areas of your life? Are you becoming more like him in your marriage? Are you becoming more like him in your relationship with your parents or your children? Are you becoming more like him in your walk? Are you becoming more like Christ? Are you seeing self-control being manifested? Are you seeing yourself turning away from things you would normally turn to? Are you seeing yourself turn to things you would never turn to without Jesus? See, that's what self-control looks like in a practical way. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, fruitfulness requires daily death. Let me let that sink in. Fruitfulness requires daily death. Fruitfulness requires daily death. Not just a death once in a while. Not just the death the day you gave your life to Jesus. Not just the death the moment that the song moves your heart. Come on now. Not just the death when you're feeling really, really spiritual. Not just the death when the leadership says, hey, we're going to do a fast and you're really dying. Come on now. Daily death is what's supposed to happen. Paul says what? He says, and those who are Christ have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Now here's the beauty. When you read that, actually it could say this. And those who are Christ crucify their flesh with its passions and desires. 
Not just in the past tense, like it happened one day, like there's this unification with Christ that we know about. No, no, no. It is that we crucify our flesh with its passions and its desires. You see, I don't know about you, but I am one of these guys. I'm not into gardening. Hello. There's some guys that are into it. But I started to feel like, I guess I started to feel like an older man a little while, a little while ago because I started looking at my yard and I'm like, man, I want this grass to look a certain way, you know? I, start, I started looking around and, you know, and, and unintentionally, right? I'm, I'm not, I'm definitely not a, a weed bed type of guy or not weed bed, but, you know, flower bed, weeder kind of guy. I'm not that dude. But the other day I happened to be out there. And I happened to be looking at some stuff and, and in communicating with the wonderful um, women in my life that, that, uh, that do that type of stuff, what I, what, what I realize is that every day they're out there pulling weeds. Every day. And, and, you know, it's something like this. You feel like, man, I pulled every single weed. I got every single weed out of this flower bed. I got every single weed out, out, out of this grass area here. And you know what happens? The next morning you wake up and there's a weed like this tall there. It wasn't there yesterday. It wasn't this big yesterday. It wasn't that big yesterday. It was non-existent yesterday, and today it's almost as tall as you. Come on now. Where did this weed come from? This weed was lurking under the surface. It was waiting for you to think you were done. Hello. <laughs> it was waiting there, waiting for you to walk away. And as soon as you walked away, sweat off your brow. It was like, you know what? This thing said, okay, now I'm going to pop up on him. Huh. Kind of like crabgrass. I don't know if you've ever dealt with crabgrass, but crabgrass during the winter months, it looks just like St. Augustine. However, <laughs> during the summertime, guess what? There is a huge difference between crabgrass and St. Augustine. You start to notice, wait a second, this all looked the same before. This all looked wonderful. And then all of a sudden, your yard is overtaken because what? Because you didn't know crabgrass was growing there. Can I tell you something? It's the same thing in our lives. Our flesh is just like that. Our flesh is lurking a little bit here, a little bit there. Oh, just one drink. Oh, I'm just going to one party. Oh, I'm just hanging out with these people. I'm just doing just, just once in a while. And all of a sudden, you find this nasty growth in your life that is overtaking your life. Because what? Because of a lack of self-control, you let the enemy just creep in. You see, it's a daily death. It's a daily dying. It's a daily recognition. Listen, Jesus said when he taught us how to pray, he said that we should pray every day, what? That we should pray, Father, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our debts, depending on what translation you use. Daily, we should be coming to the Lord, asking God for forgiveness of sin. But not just asking him for forgiveness, but recognizing the sin that is going on in our lives. That's what we should be doing every single day. It's coming before God, saying, God, this is my sin. See, I don't know about you, but I don't like to come to bed at night with a whole list of sins. You know why? Because I'll forget. So you know what I would encourage you to do? When you sin, repent immediately. What did Martin Luther say? He said that our lives were supposed to be a life of repentance. Not just a moment. Not just a confession whenever you come to a confession. Or remember Martin Luther, the great reformer? He was coming out of Catholicism. He was coming out of that place where you sat down with a priest and you confessed your sin. And Martin Luther apparently got a revelation. Obviously he did that the just shall live by faith. And now he was talking about a consistent repentance before the Lord. Listen, that's how we should live our lives. Constantly repenting of sin, recognizing sin, dealing with the weeds of the flesh within our lives. I like this quote. The Holy Spirit has a twofold ministry in the life of the believer. 
The first one is to make actual operative in the life of the Christian, the victory over sin, which the Lord Jesus procured for us at the cross. The first part that, that, that the Holy Spirit does is the moment that you come to Christ, the moment that you put your faith in Christ, the moment that you humble your heart before the Lord and ask him to forgive you, the moment you do that, there is an exchange of life that occurs. There is a death that happened already once, and there is an identification that happens. And so what the Holy Spirit does is he wants to give you victory over your sin. He wants to give you victory because that's what Jesus did. Jesus purchased our victory over sin on the cross. He didn't just die to just offer us forgiveness. Hear me now. He died to offer us victory. He rose again to show that he is almighty, all powerful, and he gives us victory over sin and death. Are you here? And so Jesus did this. He purchased this. He procured this. He got this on the cross for us. Now what? Now, every day after that moment that you give your life to Christ, God is trying to give you victory as you walk in him, as you live in him. We're going to talk about that in a moment. The second thing that is the work of the Holy Spirit is to, is to make our experience where we see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's not just to give us victory over sin, but it's also to make us bear fruit, to make us look more like Jesus, to live more like Christ. That's the work of the Spirit of God. If you have your Bibles open, or, or if not, please open them. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Turn back a couple of chapters, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. As we're looking at this daily death, I want you to see what the Apostle Paul says here. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. When you got it, say so. And it says this. It says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You hear Paul's words? He's saying, listen, in our days and in his time, he's saying, you guys know about these races. You know about these Olympic type events that we have. And you know, these people, they prepare all year. They're, they're training, they're running, and they're getting ready to run this race. or they're getting ready to fight this fight. And they're doing it for what? They're doing it for a crown that's going to perish. They're doing it for a crown that is not going to last forever. However, we as believers have been brought into a relationship with God and we are called to run this race with endurance is what the book of Hebrews says. To run with endurance, to cast off every weight that so easily besets us. The sin that so easily besets us is what, is what Hebrews tells us. And so we are supposed to run this race. We're supposed to run with endurance. We're supposed to run with everything that we have. And you know what Paul Paul says, Paul says, listen, the only way I'm going to be able to run, the only way that I'm going to be able to fight, the only way I'm going to be able to endure is if I beat my flesh into submission. Hear those words. This is a guy that didn't have internet. This is a guy that didn't have any kind of social media. 
This is a guy that didn't have big, huge, flat screen TVs. This is a guy that didn't have video games. This is a guy that didn't have half of the stuff, none of the stuff that pulls our attention. And he's saying, I had to beat my flesh to death. How much more do you think we have to beat our flesh to death? How much more do you think we need to subject our flesh to the spirit? I would say we got a big fight on our hands. And Paul, being that man, is saying, I beat my flesh into subjection, lest after I preach to others and others get saved, I be disqualified. Come on now. Paul was saying, I don't want to be disqualified. I want to make sure I run to the end and I get the imperishable crown. See, church, every day we are supposed to live We're supposed to run. We're supposed to fight. We're supposed to beat our flesh into submission. Are you here? That's what we're called to do, to live for God's glory. And so fruitfulness requires daily death. Hallelujah. Third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say fruitfulness is the result of connectivity. Fruitfulness is the result of connectivity. And so Paul goes on to say what? He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's verse 25 of chapter 5. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Jesus makes it crystal clear for us. Turn with me to one more place before we wrap up this morning. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verses 1. Starting in verse 1, we'll probably read down to verse 8. But Jesus says this, and this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. I just want us to look at it together. John chapter 15, we're going to begin in verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says this, it says, I am the vine, or I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, let's just pause for a moment because Jesus is saying what? He's saying he's letting you know who he is. He's letting us know who the Father is. And he's letting us know who we are. And so the first thing he makes clear is that he is the true vine, meaning what? Meaning that he is the actual source of life. Jesus is saying, I am the source of life. I am the true vine. I am where the life comes from. It doesn't come from anyone else. I'm the vine. I'm the root of where life comes from. My father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He's the one that comes by and he plucks out the weeds. He's the one that comes by. He cuts off all the dead stuff. But he's also the one that comes around and he looks at stuff that is alive and says, that's got to go. Are you here? See, in the believer's life, we all all are cool with weeds getting out of our lives. We're all cool with dead stuff being removed from our lives. But what about the stuff we like? What about the stuff we enjoy that's hindering God's fruit in our lives? What about those things that we partake in that is hindering God's fruitfulness in our lives? The Father's the vine dresser. And Jesus says what? He says, you guys, you are the branches. You're clean because of what? And so if you're in here, you're listening to us online. The reality is that you are clean if you have responded to Jesus. If you have put your faith in Christ, you are clean. You are a new creation according to what the scriptures teach. However, that doesn't mean you're done. 
It doesn't mean you said a prayer one day, you walked an aisle one day, you made a decision one day, you committed to Christ one day, and that's it. No, 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 we are continuing in this process. So let's continue reading here. He says in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now listen, let's pause for a moment. Because it seems like there's a lot of people doing a lot of stuff without Jesus, is it not? There's a lot of rich people that don't know Jesus. There's a lot of successful people that don't know Jesus. There's a lot of people that seem to be doing okay and they don't know Jesus. So is Jesus is not just talking about stuff. No, he's talking about real things that really matter. He's talking about bearing fruit for the kingdom. Being successful by the, words, by the world's standards doesn't mean that you're fruitful. It doesn't mean that you're bearing fruit. Success in in the natural sense doesn't mean that you are bearing fruit. What it means is simply that you have success. You found a way to do something. But that's not the fruit that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. We must abide in him. What did I say? Fruitfulness is the result of connectivity. You've got to be connected to Christ. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. There's the indicative that we live in the Spirit because of what? Because of what Jesus did. Because of the death on the cross. Because of the resurrection. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we're connected. We're we're in the Spirit. And so Paul gives us the imperative and he says, well, if you live in it, walk in it. Here's the question. Are we really living in it? See, because Jesus says some words here about abiding in him, being in him. Look at verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So if anybody is there, is not connected, they get cut off, they get thrown in the fire. You want that? I don't want that. That's what Paul was saying. I don't want to be disqualified. I want to run with endurance. But, but I, I love this verse here. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but verse 7 is an exciting verse for me. Because verse 7 is an amazing promise, is it not? What does verse 7 say? Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Verse 8 is such an amazing verse too because what does it say? By this, what is this? This obviously has to be pointing back to something that was already said. By this, that you bear fruit. See, part of fruitfulness for a Christian is a prayer life where God is answering you yes. Let me ask you a question. How many of you want God to answer you yes? Can I tell you something? This is a promise that God will answer, listen to me, every one of your prayers with a yes. Hold up, Bishop. Did you just go into prosperity mode? No? No. I did not. Let's read it together. Come on, y'all, y'all, y'all looking at me like I'm crazy here. I don't know if you're still watching me online, but check this out. Look what it says. Second part of the verse. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. That sounds like a yes to me. 
That sounds like a 100%. If I ask what I desire, then what? It will be done for me. It wasn't like, if you ask what you desire, some, no, 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 no. It will be done for you. Can I tell you the problem? Here's the problem. The problem is, we want to claim the second half of that verse, but we ignore the first half of the verse. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. So you want all of your prayers to be yes? Make sure you're praying in God's word. Make sure you're praying in God's will. Because the only prayers God answers yes to always are the ones that align with his word. And you know where you're going to find that? In his word. Hello. You know where you're going to find that? Abiding in him. Come on now. Y'all thought I went into prosperity mode. No. No. Listen. Jesus makes us a promise. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. Why does he say that? Because when you abide in him and you abide in his word, guess what happens? Your desires change. Your desires come into alignment with his. And then what happens is if you are abiding, you are resting and you are dwelling in, you are remaining in him, and guess what happens? You begin to ask things that are according to his will. Then he says yes, and he does it. And by this, my father's glorified that you and I bear much fruit and by this we will be the disciples I don't know about you but I want to hear yeses all the time when I pray the only time that I hear no is when when I'm outside of God's will the only time I hear no is when I'm not praying according to God's will and here's the beauty of this is that there are some things that listen you know they're crystal clear in God's word and you pray them you know that that's God's will you keep praying those things but then there's other things that are not so crystal clear and you know what you have to do? You have to be in that relationship of abiding so you know this is not God's will. I, I need to stop praying this. And, there's, and listen, I know, I know y'all don't want to hear this because y'all felt like I was giving this prosperity message stuff, but listen, there's sometimes that there are things that are in God's word that God says, no, I don't want that for you right now. But if you're not abiding in him, you know what happens? You get all upset with God. Oh, but it was in your word. Oh, but it was a promise. Oh, you said you were going to do it. Wait a second. What if there's something greater that God is trying to do in your life? What if there's a greater purpose that God has than saying yes to that thing? What if that's the reason why he said no to something that you see crystal clear written out in his word? See, that's why the abiding has to happen. And so fruitfulness, fruitfulness. If we're going to walk in the fruit of self-control, if we're going to walk in the fruitfulness of the, of the fruit of the Spirit, we have to abide. We have to be connected with the Lord. And so what does God do? God calls us to live out what we're living in. God calls us to live out what we are living in. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The question is, are you living in the Spirit? Are you living in the spirit? Are you living in a, in a relationship with God that is changing your heart, that is directing your steps? Are you living in a relationship with God that makes you in the midst of chaos, in the midst of craziness, that you want to be a voice of truth? You want to be a voice of reason? You want to be an example of love? You want to be an example of light? Does, is that what is happening inside of your heart? Because you know what, church? That's what our world needs right at this moment. As, as we are in the midst of this time of chaos, as we're in the midst of this time of darkness, as we're in the midst of this time of confusion, we need to be a church that is bringing the light and the life of the gospel to bear on our culture. That's what our world needs right now. 
And so here's the thing. As followers of Christ, we have to realize this. I said it earlier, and I just want to repeat this. We choose fruit. Paul says something really clear. When you go back in the book of Galatians chapter 5, you read earlier on, he talks about the works of the flesh are, and he goes through a list of the works of the flesh. And then he goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And he walks through what the fruit of the Spirit are. And here's what we have to realize, is that we cannot make fruit happen, but we choose fruit. We either choose fruit or we choose the works of the flesh. And so my closing question is this. In what area of your life, in your life, do you need to choose self-control over self-indulgence? In what area of your life do you need to choose self-control over self-indulgence? And when I say self-indulgence, I don't mean anything other than you giving into your self you giving into your desires over what you know God wills. You giving over what you giving into what you want over what God says is his will and his purpose. Whether it's in his word or what you know in your spirit, you know in your heart what God's will is. Where is it in your life that you need to say, God, I surrender? Let's all bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, in this moment, we come to you with humble, humble hearts. And Lord, today, help us to recognize where we have been out of control. Help us to recognize where we have indulged in our flesh and our carnal desires over your purpose and over your will. Help us to acknowledge where we have not demonstrated self-control. Father, help us Help us to be fruitful for your glory, for your honor. Purge us, cleanse us, help us to abide in you. God, we want to be a fruitful church. God, we want to be a fruitful people. God, we want to be a fruitful people in the midst of a world that is dying on the vines of deception, that is dying on the vines of deceit. God, let us be a source of light and a source of life in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that this service encouraged you and built your faith in Christ as well as called you to action. Please be sure to connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe so you can stay connected and be informed of when we post new content. If there's any way we can pray for you or serve you, or if you would like more information on a relationship with Christ, email us at bishop at corefaithchurch.org. Make sure to IM us on Facebook or DM us on Instagram.